everybody. Welcome. Lovely to see you all here this evening. My name is Tamar Garb, and I'm the uh, director of the Institute of Advanced Studies. And I thought I'd just take a couple of minutes just to introduce those of you who don't know the Institute of Advanced Studies to what we do, and set this particular lecture in the context of a research theme um, uh, with which uh, we're going to be concerned over the next year in collaboration with Urban Lab. Uh, I imagine many of you are Bartlett um, uh, lecturers and students, and perhaps uh, your lives uh, at UCL are really very much confined to the Bartlett. If that's the case, um, then I do hope that I'm going to be able to entice you to join us in the IAS in a whole range of activities with which we've been um, concerned and ongoing uh, concerns that we have. The IAS was set up at UCL four years ago. We're in our fifth year now. Um, we aim to bring interdisciplinary research together. We aim to, aim to bring people from disciplines across UCL together in um, interesting dialogues, in unexpected conjunctions, and um, really to open up conversations in ways in which we uh, are really pushed beyond our disciplinary and our departmental agendas. On the screen behind me, while you've been sitting there, have been a whole series of events that we are staging within the next term alone. We have this incredibly lively um, a range of things, as you will see, or as I hope you have seen. And it really is open to everyone across UCL, not only to participate and to come and listen, but really to generate ideas within this environment, within this context. We have calls for events, we have calls for um, workshops and work groups, and we really hope that people will be interested in participating with us in a whole series of conversations and indeed in generating those conversations for us. So do please take a look at the IAS website if you've never done so and see what's out there, see what you can apply for, see where you can really um, join up with other people across UCL and indeed further afield. We, um, we host all sorts of people from across the world really to bring their expertise to us at UCL and we welcome all sorts of suggestions and you know, innovative ideas. So, so I do invite you, please, to participate with us um, in this venture. One of the things that the IAS does is that we have strategic themes every year. And over the last few years, some of you I know will have participated in all sorts of um, workshops and conferences and talks and panels uh, that are generated around these themes. Themes for the last year have been on turbulence and laughter. We've had anything from stand-up and performance to um, practical sessions, etc. Over the years, we've looked at lies, we've looked at planetary futures, we've looked at sense and sensation, um, you know, a whole range of things. All of those are traces of those, and the archives of those are all on the website, as are many recordings of various panels that have taken place. We try to archive everything and we try to record as much as possible. So the traces are there. We have a publication that comes out every six months that focuses on themes. The last one that came out is Lies, and we'll soon be bringing out one on turbulence and laughter. And in those publications, we also try to think imaginatively, bringing visual um, representation in uh, you know, combination with other formats and, uh, and ways of thinking. So that's my introduction. I wanted also to say that this year we're really delighted to be collaborating with Urban Lab for the first time on our strategic theme, and the theme is waste. We've just appointed a new junior research fellow who will be joining us in January to work with us on waste. Um, he works on artificial in intelligence and mapping waste in ecosystems now across the globe, and he'll be bringing his own expertise, and I'm sure he'll be generating um, lots of interesting 
ideas um, that we hope you'll be able to partake of. But tonight, really, we have our inaugural um, waste event. This is the first um, waste event that we really are staging, and, and we're really delighted to have Christoph Lindner uh, from the Bartlett to deliver the lecture, and he will be um, responded to uh, afterwards by Jose Torero. But I'm going to hand over to Claire Meluish, who is the director of Urban Lab, to do those introductions. And after this evening's lecture, we welcome you all to join us just downstairs, two floors down, in the IAS's uh, um, common, is it common ground or forum? Forum um, for a drink and a, and a celebratory um, reception. So thank you very much for coming. And just quickly, you will also have on your tables, I hope, just a little flyer with just the first taste of the events that we're beginning to organize around the waste theme. Uh, yes, well, thank you very much, Tamar, for that introduction. And I don't think I really need to explain. I'm Claire Malthewish. I'm the director of the UCL Urban Laboratory. And as you probably mostly know, uh, we are a centre for cross-disciplinary urban research, teaching and practice at UCL. Um, and we're supported by four faculties, the Bartlett, Engineering, so, uh, Social and Historical Sciences, and Arts and Humanities. So we're very pleased to be collaborating with the IAS, formally really for the first time on this annual theme of waste. And we're even more delighted to be co-hosting, uh, I think, the first public lecture at UCL by our new Dean of the Bartlett, Christoph Lindner. Um, and Christoph is an urban and cultural theorist whose work really exemplifies the kind of cross-disciplinary urban research that we uh, promote through the urban laboratory. It spans the humanities, social sciences, and arts and design fields, including architecture, visual culture, geography, and media studies, and urban planning and design. And Christoph has taken on the post of, uh, as well as Dean, he is Professor of Urban Studies here at UCL, so this is a very exciting appointment for us. And also because the Urban Lab has had a fairly long-standing association with Christoph over the years, um, including in relation to this theme of garbage, um, I think the original event that this, uh, that Christoph's book um, came out of in Amsterdam was attended by my predecessor, Ben Kampkin, um, as director of the Urban Lab, who contributed to that uh, multidisciplinary discussion around the theme of garbage. And so it's also a, a very a good opportunity to help us to focus on the specifically urban dimensions of the theme of waste. Um, and as an annual theme for us, it also um, intersects with our new uh, research priority area of wastelands, which is led by Pushka Arabindi, one of our co-directors. So I'll just um, briefly introduce Christoph and also Jose Torero, who is going to respond to Christoph's talk. Christoph will talk for about half an hour, followed by Jose, and then we'll have an opportunity for questions. Um, Christoph has come here from the College of Design at the University of Oregon, where he was also dean, and where he also launched and directed the University of Oregon Slow Lab, a collaborative research initiative promoting critical and creative inquiry 
into global cultures of speed, mobility, and connectivity. Prior to that, he was Professor of Media and Culture at the University of Amsterdam and Director of the Amsterdam School for Cultural Analysis, as I mentioned. And this again was a research institute and graduate school focused on interdisciplinary study of contemporary theory, culture, and society. Um, Christoph, Christoph's most recent uh, publication is Imagining New York City, um, but he's also uh, um, been a co-editor of a, quite a large number of edited volumes, including Deconstructing the High Line of 2017, and I think um, it was then that we last hosted Christoph to give a talk here in Bartlett on, on the High Line in New York. Um, and before that, the book Global Garbage, um, which I imagine will be provide some of the basis for this talk this evening. And as I mentioned, this came out of a monthly research seminar um, in the Aska Cities project uh, that ran between 2013 and 14, and was then followed by an international conference on the theme in Paris. And I think what's interesting about the book is that it really underlines how garbage has become a global concern. It's described as an artifact of globalization, um, but also that cities play a central role in this context. And I'm quoting from the introduction to the book, um, which says that the average urban resident produces around four times as much solid waste as a person living in the countryside. And therefore, waste reduction efforts in the future will really be outpaced by predicted urban population growth. And I think that's quite a sobering thought for us all, especially as city dwellers, as many of us are here at UCL. Um, of course, garbage is only one aspect of waste. Um, and again, as the book explores, cities are the main producers, managers, and marketplaces, not only of waste materials, including wastelands, as we explore through our priority theme, but also of the social and artistic manifestations and representations of waste. So we look forward to hearing uh, what Christoph has to say about that. And then we will um, hear from Jose, Jose Torero, um, who I'll just briefly introduce. He's the Professor of Civil Engineering, Head of the Department of Civil, Environmental and Geomatic Engineering here at UCL. Again, he's a fairly uh, new, new appointment uh, to the university, which is very exciting. He is involved in the ongoing Grenfell Tower public inquiry. And he also, notably, uh, joined us as a judge on the Urban Labs Urban Verticality Photo Competition in the summer. Um, but I'll hand over to Christoph now, and then we'll come back to Jose after that. Can you, can you hear in the back? We're okay? Right. So thank you very much for coming along this evening. It's great to see you. And it's great to be in a room like this. This is an old school lecture theater. Um, so I feel comfortable lecturing here. Um, I want to thank the Institute for Advanced Studies and UCL Urban Lab 
for inviting me to participate in this series of talks exploring the many dimensions of waste. And for me, this is particularly meaningful. As Claire mentioned, I've only recently joined UCL, and I spent many years observing with envy all of the kind of intellectual innovation that Urban Lab and IAS were engaged in. And so to have a chance to contribute to the conversations here in a partnership between these two spaces, which I think very frankly, from an international perspective, are doing very, very unique and innovative things, is a really special thing to be able to do. So I really want to thank you for letting me be part of it. And also, for me, this is a kind of therapeutic moment. Uh, we published Global Garbage a couple years ago, and that's the book I'm going to be uh, uh, talking about this evening. And it was the, that's a book that's the result of a collaboration between a large number of scholars. It's a collaborative effort. And um, it's a book that has kind of withered into obscurity, partly because of the outrageous price tag of a hardback volume uh, in today's kind of uh, uh, academic publishing world. Um, and it's the kind of book that was designed not to resolve an issue. So we weren't trying to define what global garbage is and put an end to discussion about it. Rather, the idea was to invite scholars from a whole range of disciplines across the arts, humanities, and social sciences to engage with the topic of garbage and globalization and to do it transnationally and comparatively in order to prompt more discussion. So what I'm hoping is by sharing some of the work from this volume here this evening that we actually finally get to uh, do the thing this book was designed to do, which is to invite debate, invite questions and critique and get us to interrogate what garbage is, how it works, and how it moves around our world today, and why that matters. So before I get into the lecture itself, I do think then it's important to uh, acknowledge that there are many uh, other voices uh, present here today, and in particular, I want to acknowledge my co-author and co-editor, Miriam Meissner, who is an assistant professor of urban studies at Maastricht University in the Netherlands. So when I'm speaking tonight, really it's Miriam and I together doing that. Um, the words, the ideas uh, were formed through a lot of collaboration. So as I said, I'm going to be presenting some ideas from this global garbage book. And in particular, what I want to do is just um, share some of the conceptual framing work that we developed in the introduction. And then in the second half of the talk, I want to actually share some of the case studies from the book. I won't go through all of them. I'm just going to select some um, that really give a sense of the range of perspectives on garbage that we explored in this project. So that's the plan. And I want to begin with this statement. We live in an era of acceleration. 
in a world of constant, exhausting hypermobility and relentless hysterical urbanization. And it is against this backdrop of speed and excess that garbage has become a global concern. And in particular, garbage is now central to contemporary globalization debates. Why? Because garbage is increasingly implicated in the transnational flow of goods and people, capital, data, and images that we consider constitutive of globalization. So in addition, as well as in contrast to those kinds of flows, I think it's also important to emphasize how garbage can also circulate globally in other less intentional ways. So for instance, gar garbage can circulate involuntarily with an almost ghostly agency, as revealed in the alarming ecological reports of the many tons of plastic debris drifting around the world's oceans. And so you can think, for example, of the uh, legendary Great Pacific Garbage Patch. And garbage can circulate for the sake of elimination, as in international garbage management and disposal programs. Or it can circulate as a commodity in its own right in a transnational second-order market where garbage is bought and sold for recycling and the extraction of raw materials. And as Claire mentioned, cities play a central role in all of this. As she mentioned, the average urban resident is producing around four times as much solid waste as a person living in the countryside. And then on top of this, if we think that more than half of the world's population lives in cities, and of course that's growing, urban population growth is actually set to outpaced all of our waste reduction efforts in the very near future. So garbage is central in cities. And we can think of cities as not just sort of concentrations of production and management and marketplaces for garbage. I think we also need to think of cities as places that are becoming increasingly prominent in urban and social artistic practices. And there are many examples to draw on, to cite just a couple. For example, we can think of H.A. Schultz haunting armies of trash people placed in remote locations in nature, here partly commenting on just how far garbage can travel. And as a slight tangent, you may have read recently about the global spread of microplastics and how those are found everywhere, including in Antarctica. But also uh, the placement of these trash figures in central squares of prominent European cities, such as Brussels, Cologne, Moscow, and Rome. 
or consider the London-based street artist Francisco de Pajaro's Art is Trash installations, which are made of urban detritus and assembled at different seemingly random city locations. And similarly, film has been turning increasingly to the topic of urban garbage. A good example being Lucy Walker's documentary, which many, many of you have seen, Wasteland. And this is a documentary that follows a collaboration between uh, artist Vic Munez and a group of catadores, waste pickers, at one of the world's largest landfills uh, near Rio de Janeiro. And if you haven't seen it, it's a documentary that shows how Munez and the catadores assemble waste material into artwork, which eventually gets sold at a prestigious London-based auction house. So here, garbage is transformed into a rarefied commodity designed to circulate in the global art market. And this is an intervention that I think presents not just an artistic project, that's part of what's going on, but maybe more importantly, it's also a transnational social project. And it raises questions about global inequality and environmental justice. So in this respect, this film, Wasteland, belongs to a broader trend in contemporary culture, a trend that links garbage to issues of global economics, politics, and uneven geographic development. To put this a little differently, questions about where, how, and for what purpose garbage flows are critical. Now beyond that, contemporary social artistic engagements with garbage I think they also raise questions that evoke Henri Lefebvre's notion of a right to the city. So the demand for what Lefebvre describes as a, quote, transformed and renewed right to urban life. Garbage, in this context, becomes an allegory whose characteristics stand for much broader problems and dynamics that are linked to globalization and its impact on cities. And so here I would cite the proliferation of urban slums, the acceleration of urban sprawl, the rise of transnational urban migration, the privatization and securitization of public space, and the worldwide attack on affordable housing. And it's with those issues swirling in the background that in our book, Global Garbage, we engage with five discourses on garbage. And I do not want to suggest that these are the most important five discourses these are not the only discourses, but these are the discourses that emerged when our group of scholars engaged the topic 
of garbage. And I think they are discourses that have been quite active over the last five to 10 years within the broader field that we might describe as discard studies. So let me just very briefly sketch out what these discourses are. Um, the first discourse derives from an urban planning and environmental studies perspective. And this is an approach to garbage that assesses environmental, social, and economic risks, risks that are resulting from the production of garbage and its management. And the particular challenge that this perspective deals with is evaluating the global ecological impacts of garbage, while at the same time seeking to offer locally applicable solutions. Now, within this discourse, the concept of urban metabolism has recently gained renewed interest. The urban metabolism approach seeks to apply a more holistic approach to urban garbage management, and it takes into account what Greg Kennedy describes in his book on the ontology of trash as, quote, the sum total of the technical and socioeconomic processes that occur in cities, resulting in growth, production of energy, and the elimination of waste. That's discourse one. Discourse two. The second discourse on garbage may be described as socio-anthropological. Now this is a discourse that analyzes the practices as well as the attitudes that people develop in relation to garbage. The socio-anthropological perspective frequently works in the tradition of anthropologist Mary Douglas, who very famously asserted that dirt is matter out of place. And taking this idea, it inspires here an understanding of garbage as the product of cultural systems, systems that structure in place and signify. Another focus of this perspective is on the what you might describe the social cultural environments in which garbage is created and processed. And so, for example, a lot of work has been devoted to the practice of garbage picking, <coughs> stretching from scavenging as a subsistence strategy through to dumpster diving as an activist means of consumer critique and subversion. Discourse three. So the third discourse analyzes artists' use of waste in works of assemblage and bricolage, as well as authors and filmmakers' engagements, both literal and symbolic, with waste. Crucial to this perspective are the shifting meanings that waste can acquire in the different artistic practices and in relation to different art historical paradigms. So the practice of garbage assemblage thus offers both 
methods and aesthetics for contemporary artistic experimentation that have the potential to combine, restage, blur, or just destabilize established cultural values. And I'll come back to this a little later on. So, in this respect, I think artistic engagements with waste rub up against a fourth discourse on garbage, the philosophical perspective. And this fourth perspective engages the concept of garbage in relation to culture and ideology. So including questions of metaphysics. The philosophical perspective both extends and problematizes the notion of garbage as matter out of place. And it does this by asking what qualifies as garbage and why. So for example, metaphysical, metaphysical questionings of garbage often prompt a critical questioning of the symbolic and the epistemological systems that produce garbage in its various forms, from trash to rubbish to residue to leftover and so on. Now, some of you may know John Scanlon's book titled On Garbage, um, and that's exactly the point that he makes in that book. And he writes, and these are his words, garbage utterances refer to the excrement of meaning itself. It is when something means nothing to you that it becomes filth, shit, rubbish, garbage, and so on. I think the key point here is that the designation of something as garbage, labeling it, calling it garbage, actually reveals semiotic and epistemological limits. And it's partly in response to this last inflection that urban studies and geography, as well as uh, kind of uh, related disciplines, have developed a fifth perspective that we could call spatial, spatial garbage. So spatial garbage can be associated with terms such as badlands, wastelands, blank spaces, derelict areas, no man's land. Spaces of indeterminacy, terrain vague, urban deserts, vacant land, and the list goes on. But what these residual, liminal spaces have in common is that they all tend to be devalued despite their prevalence and their, yeah, their presence in everyday life. Why do we devalue these spaces? And it's, I think, partly in response to that question that some branches of urban studies and visual culture have shown renewed interest in urban ruins. And as lots and lots and lots of commentators have been pointing out, contemporary ruin lust tends to shift between the romanticization of ruins on the one hand, a, romant a romanticiz... It's a hard word to say. Romantic... <laughs> romanticization that is interested in a ruin as a site of experimentation and subversion 
And then on the other hand, an engagement with ruins as a dystopian space, portrayals of ruins as manifestations of crisis, decline, and destruction. So spatial garbage is characterized by ambiguity, or at least ambivalence. And this ambiguity is further complicated by the way garbage is not only associated with spaces of ruination, spaces of abandonment, but also with the excesses of urban development. This is my least favorite place on earth. Such as the vacuous postmodern urbanism that the architect Rem Koolhaas has conceptualized as junk space. And if you don't recognize the image here on this slide, this is the newly opened vessel at Hudson Yards in New York. I think this is sort of where junk space has led to. And I would suggest that it is arguably the ultimate site of neoliberal placelessness. But these five discourses on garbage and cities overlap and inform one another. And yet, they are also marked by considerable disconnections and paradoxes. And that's partly what we try to grapple with in, in, in the book, this tension between connection and disconnection between these kinds of concerns. And the argument that we develop is to say that studying garbage actually requires developing a strong interdisciplinary and comparative critique. A critique of what garbage is and then what it means in different urban contexts and cultures around the world. And I just want to transition into some examples from the chapters of the book to take a lot of these rather abstract ideas and try to show you what they look like. And to do that, I just need to introduce one more concept, which is in the title of uh, the lecture this evening, the concept of urban imaginary, which I think for many of you will be deeply, perhaps overly familiar. But the concept of urban imaginary, if you've not come across it before, is a concept that draws on the thinking of people like Henri Lefebvre and his notion of the social production of space um, to suggest that we live with and use urban imaginaries in our everyday lives. And the urban imaginary, in the simplest terms, refers to the symbolic, the cognitive, the discursive constructions of urban space and living. So the idea here is that these constructions determine not just the ways in which cities are conceived and structured through things like urban planning and architecture, but also, and for me this is really important, the ways in which people relate to, engage with, behave in, and ultimately interpret cities. So urban imaginaries are, for instance, constructed by means of artistic practice, literature, film, photography, and other forms of visual, textual culture, and also through everyday practices of language, communication, and street culture, 
as well as through top-down practices of urban design, development, policy, and placemaking. The way cities deal with garbage can contribute to the formation of urban imaginaries. And Naples is a perfect example. A city whose um, portrayal in the global news media often revolves around garbage and the alleged failures of urban waste management. And yet, and this is what Nick Dines explores in his chapter, um, and this is a chapter that, ex that considers the uh, mediatization of Naples's successive garbage crises, but particularly the crisis of 2007. And what he argues is that this mediatized image of Naples as a garbage city is often misconstrued and sensationalized. And it's done so in a way that actually forecloses any real political understanding of the city and its garbage problems. And the politics of garbage is also the topic of Anne Berg's chapter on garbage publics in LA and Detroit. And this is a chapter that compares the garbage crises that hit LA and Detroit in the 1980s and Berg shows how the development of various garbage processes and garbage technologies, and one of the key examples is the rise of municipal incinerators, how things like that um, are not just the result of global patterns, but that maybe more importantly, they also reproduce local histories, histories that involve public debate, citizenship, and social racial division. And I think a really key point that Anne Berg is making in this chapter is this. Garbage, she argues, reproduces the systems of inequality that generate it. <coughs> so the place of garbage in cultural theory and critique is the subject of Jeffrey Cantaris's chapter. And this is a chapter on the film's Wasteland, which I mentioned earlier, and the film Estemira. And Estemira is a film that follows the waste picker, Estemira, who develops an entire philosophy of life based on garbage. <coughs> or, as Cantaris calls it, he doesn't like to use the phrase garbage, but rather the commodity stripped of its aura. So in his reading of these two films, Cantaris is interested in how the films take viewers into the space of the dump and then deliberately subvert our distanced relationship with the treatment of garbage. And in the process, Cantaris explores the metaphysical potential of garbage including the complex nature of the commodity form and, maybe quite importantly, the relationship between garbage and capitalist cultures of abstraction. Taking quite a different approach, 
Brian Rosa offers a chapter exploring the redevelopment of the former Docklands of Pomona Island in Manchester here in the UK. And the issue for him is how urban space is strategically devalorized as wasteland in order to justify profit-driven real estate development. So this is a dynamic that I'm sure you recognize. And interestingly, this is a process that ignores or downplays the various social, cultural, and ecological values that may actually be embedded in spaces that we call wastelands. So for Rosa, the term wasteland obscures as much as it reveals. And his argument is that the value of urban space needs to be reconceptualized in terms that operate beyond the logic of capital accumulation. Taking a very different approach, Stephanie Newell looks at colonial encounters in African cities in the late 19th and 20th centuries. And her focus is on the way that Western imperialism designated African natives as dirty. And this happened precisely in order to impose colonial regimes of urban sanitation and racial segregation. And Newell's analysis identifies a tendency, a tendency rooted in colonialism to justify anti-cosmopolitanism through imaginaries of dirt. And you have two quite disturbing examples there. And then as she goes on to demonstrate, this same tendency continues to inform contemporary public discourses about migration, about mobility between global cities, and this includes the media coverage of the recent Ebola, Ebola virus outbreaks in West Africa. Newell's analysis, I think, is particularly relevant to the book because it connects to the book's overall engagement with globalization and garbage by illustrating how urban imaginaries can act as tools of ideology. And we have here some quite disturbing examples. I have just a few more to share. So the aesthetic dimension of garbage is, of course, uh, a related concern, and it's a concern that runs through the book. And I do think, as a slight aside, that in order to think about this concern in this context, globalization, garbage, it's actually very helpful to turn to a notion of aesthetics that encompasses the orders of sensing and making sense of reality. So a notion of aesthetics understood in Jacques Rancière's terms as the distribution of the sensory. And approached in this way, um, aesthetics describes how perception and thought are structured through politics. And then it can be used productively to question how urban imaginaries of garbage serve 
or subvert power regimes, or sometimes both at once. And this is the line of thinking that informs Maita Zubiari's develop, um, in her chapter, uh, Trashtopia. And um, this is a chapter where she looks at how waste is aestheticized in the work of the street artist Francisco de Pajaro. I showed an example earlier on, as well as the media artist Daniel Canogar. So his work is featured here in this slide. And Zubiari examines how art complicates the common association between garbage and urban slash global dystopia. So this is a chapter that tries to show the many different ways in which contemporary art uses garbage, both as a subject and as a material of aesthetic practice. And I think this image is a particularly evocative example of doing both of those things. And then depending on how garbage is materially processed, placed, or made visible, contemporary art brings into focus different stages and different dimensions of garbage's journey. A journey from individual waste products of intimate scale, so the individual little objects here in the image, to a dystopian mass phenomenon of a global scope and scale. All of those objects together. And for Zubiari, the conclusion is that despite their critique, a lot of garbage artworks generally share an inclination to mix utopian and dystopian aesthetics back into their commentary. So in a way, these images are quite conflicted in both their critique of and complicity with the aestheticization of garbage. Now, I probably shouldn't say this, but one of my favorite chapters in the book is by Pedram Dibazar, and he's someone who shifts the focus from visibility to invisibility. And specifically, what Dibazar is doing is looking at rooftops in Tehran as a particular kind of space, what he calls leftover space. So rooftops in Tehran are leftover spaces, and they are marked by visual and spatial ambiguity. And what he shows is that even though these rooftops may be considered wasted leftover spaces in economic and urban planning terms from a kind of official city perspective, it's precisely because of their ambiguous status and their lack of visibility that they gain value. So that's the key point. The lack of visibility as leftover spaces gives them value. And then this, in the context of a quite highly regulated, highly surveilled uh, um, world of public space in contemporary Iran, this is what makes it possible for those spaces to be appropriated for subversive use. And the example that he examines in some detail is the practice of nocturnal shouting from rooftops as a form of political protest. And you may notice that there's really nothing to see in these uh, images, and that's kind of the point. So what is presented here are a series of screen grabs 
from different YouTube videos recording the sounds of nocturnal shouting from rooftops in Iran, shouting that its very existence constitutes a political and subversive act, and it is only made possible because of the ambiguous, invisible status of the rooftop as a leftover space. And the fact that you cannot see but can only hear is what enables, excuse me, enables this um, uh, kind of critical practice to emerge. And then the final example that I want to mention explores how abandoned urban spaces are made accessible to what we might call a global memory culture and made accessible through imaging technologies, geospatial mapping, and virtual tourism. So here, uh, Joshua Sinenko examines two case studies. Uh, the first is Michael Heiser's City, uh, an enormous earthwork sculpture in the Nevada desert that, against the artist's wishes, has been made visible to the public via Google Earth's satellite images. And many of you may, may know this story uh, very well, but there's a really twisted irony here. So Heiser is someone who very secretively has been working, I mean, not secretively, because everyone knows it's there, but, but privately trying to work on this uh, um, earthwork sculpture out in the desert over the, a span of several decades, and has been resisting uh, vis visitors and scrutiny and attention. And after several decades of working on this project, Google Earth comes along and with satellites, boom, makes all of it visible to anyone with a desktop and an internet connection. And you can go and you can zoom in quite closely and explore this earthwork. And it was very much against the artist's wishes for this to happen at all. So that's one case study he's looking at, a kind of empty and almost uh, simulated urban space which then is kind of redistributed in another form of urban simulation via Google Earth. And the second case study is Hashima Island in South Japan, so a former uh, industrial mining site that has become a popular site of virtual mapping and virtual tourism for a couple of reasons, one of them being that it appeared in the 2012 James Bond film Skyfall, this is where the villain's lair was located in that film. And this virtual exploration has been made possible by Google Street View. So you can actually go to Hashima Island with Google Street View. And this is a screenshot. I don't know if you can see down here. But this is a screenshot um, of, uh, uh, from Google Street View. And you can navigate and explore and walk around this abandoned city. So why, why is this interesting? What's, what's happening here of, of note? Uh, well, for Sinenko, the point is that um, he tries to expand our existing thinking on urban ruins. And he tries to do this by linking the concept of ruination to a new virtual object of analysis, what he calls geospatial detritus. And as he shows, experiencing empty cities, such as Heiser's earthwork or Hashima Island, experiencing these kinds of empty cities 
through Google Earth or Google Street View actually deepens the sense of emptiness and abandonment precisely because of the distancing, dehumanizing effects of the technological interface. So the point here is not a commentary on the abandoned or empty urban spaces themselves, but rather the effect of their mediatization through these digital technologies, which recreates them as even emptier, even more abandoned. So those were some of the chapters in the book. There are more, the chapters on Beirut and Hong Kong and Rio de Janeiro, and if any of this has uh, uh, piqued your interest, I would definitely encourage you to explore. But I want to bring the talk to a close with um, one final thought. And what I've been trying to show is the way in which collectively, across this book, Global Garbage, we explore the many, sometimes surprising and frequently alarming ways in which garbage is implicated in contemporary debates about globalization and cities. And what the book argues, so this really is the overall argument of the book, is that understanding garbage has value because it offers a way into understanding a range of other urgent, related global issues, ranging from human health, social justice, and environmental risk, to uneven geographic development, neoliberal capitalism, post-colonial politics, and transnational governance. So that's the argument. And I said I had one last thought, but actually I want to add one last last thought. Because for me, what was kind of interesting returning to this material for preparing today's talk, revisiting it, was to think how my own thinking has moved on a bit, evolved a bit, since we worked on this project. And one of the things that has stayed with me and continues to haunt me, and I believe is one of the most important dimensions of the topic of waste in today's world is the question, why do we treat people like garbage? And it seems to me that in today's world, in more and more contexts, in more and more different kinds of ways, both subtle and explicit, we're treating people like garbage, like trash. Whether you're talking about the figure of the immigrant or the migrant, the refugee, if you're talking about undocumented workers, um, if you're talking about the, the poor, uh, the global poor, if you're talking about any vulnerable, disenfranchised group, the, 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 uh, 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 the people who are being displaced by gentrification, there are so many different and disturbing ways in which we, globally, in our societies, treat people like trash. And I think that's something we need to be talking about. And I think it requires a lot of expertise from across a range of disciplines, from spaces like Urban Lab, like spaces like the Institute for Advanced Studies, and many more partners across the university and beyond to address this topic. 
But my final point, I promise I'm almost done, but why be an electric leader if you don't really lecture, right? But my final, final point is we are facing a lot of emergencies in our world. And one of those is being forced on us by climate change. And I say forced because there is nothing we can do to not deal with the effects. There's a lot we can do to mitigate and adapt to those effects. But a horrible reality of climate change is that it will affect us unequally. And so as we do our best across the world of research, across the world of government, across the public sector, as we do our best to help deal with this problem, I think we really, really need to stay focused on the relationship between people and climate and the injustices that are currently built in to that relationship. So I'll stop lecturing on that note. Uh, thank you for your attention. Thank you for coming. And I'll turn things over to Jose. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, Christoph. That was a really fantastic, very provocative and multi-dimensional framing for our thinking about garbage, waste, um, however we want to name it, over the coming year. And I think what it really does um, draw our attention to is the importance of naming, identifying, representing as key to understanding the problem of how we live with waste in the future and particularly in this future framed by climate change. So now we're very pleased to introduce Jose Terrero, who, as I mentioned, has an engineering background. He is a specialist in the fields of fire safety, combustion, environmental remediation and sanitation, and specializes in complex contexts such as developing nations, urban environments, novel architectures, critical infrastructure, aircraft, and spacecraft. But he also studies major environmental problems involving waste such as oil spills or large underground coal fires, where he has developed unique approaches towards impact mitigation. And he's co-inventor of STAR, a technology for soil remediation that has been extensively commercialized and also extended to sanitation and the efficient management of waste water. So I think Jose now is going to bring a very important conceptual but also technical perspective on this issue and uh, well, before I get started, uh, thank you much, very much for a very provocative and uh, very interesting and fascinating lecture. Uh, I'm going to start by saying that when I was asked uh, to do this response, uh, the first thing that I tried to do was uh, read the book. And, uh, and as I explored the book, and, uh, and this was echoed by Christoph at the beginning of his talk, uh, I realized it was a dialogue between the arts, the humanities, and the social sciences. Uh, I have to say, I was in panic. Uh, <laughs> when we talk about waste, uh, coming from my perspective, we always think of this problem as a technological problem, the science and technology of waste. And, uh, and listening to uh, the perspective, uh, of the social scientists, the perspectives of the artists, 
the perspective of the humanities is not necessarily the kind of perspective that we are used to here. Uh, nevertheless, uh, once I went beyond uh, the panic uh, and I started reading through the pages of the book, I realized that what this book provided was a conversation that gave us a context to the science and technology of waste. And uh, that context uh, is one that I believe uh, is very interest, interesting and provides a sixth discourse uh, you know, to this dialogue. Uh, the discourse that involves technology, competency, and time. Now, why is this important? If you listen to the words of Christoph and um, listen to the terminology that is being used, uh, we can start by uh, understanding that garbage comes in uh, as a function of the designation that we give it. We designate something as garbage. Uh, nevertheless, today in our world, we have changed the terminology, and instead of talking about garbage, we're talking about resource recovery. We're talking about waste to energy. We're talking about recycling. We're talking about circular economy. And as the book says, we also talk about garbage art. So the question that we should be asking ourselves is, is it relevant you know, to talk about waste? Is it relevant to talk about garbage? You know, are we talking about now about regeneration of urban spaces? We're talking about gentrification. We're talking about reuse. Uh, we are talking about the romanticization of ruins. Uh, I don't know if I pronounced that appropriately, but, uh, but that's what we're doing. So is it relevant you know, to actually talk about garbage? Is it relevant to talk about waste? And I do believe that if you add the technical dimension. Uh, immediately you realize that actually the concept is still relevant. And why is it relevant is because it is a concept of timescales. Uh, all of a sudden we start discussing the fact that we're living in an era of acceleration, of great speed and excess, as it was mentioned in the talk. Now this era of acceleration, great speed and excess, effectively creates a dis a, an imbalance of timescales. What is the imbalance of timescales? It's an imbalance uh, in which we have to ask ourselves a set of different questions, which is how fast do we generate that waste? How fast do we dispose, reuse, or recycle that waste? How is our waste changing and how fast is it changing? How fast is our technology evolving and how fast is our capacity to manage you know, and re- name and restructure that waste. All these things are questions that are intimately related you know, to that different form of speech. You know, the speech of technology, competency, and time. Now, to me, this is a sixth discourse that should not be left aside. Technology does play a very significant role, and we need to participate in that dialogue. And we do not need to participate just as an afterthought or a context, but I think we need to participate as an integral part of the problem. Now, Christophe finishes you know, by asking the question of why do we treat people like trash? You know, why do we treat people like waste? But let me give you a very different scenario. When does our technology evolve so fast that our slow learning speed makes us commit mistakes that lands us with a monument of waste 
in the form of a burnt building that 72 people call a grave. So these are the questions that we need to ask ourselves. And technology plays an enormous role in this space, and I think it's a role that should be considered as part of the full dialogue around waste and garbage. Thank you.